What's up everybody, hello, welcome to episode number 171 of the VK Bros with Jason and Alex Von Cannell on a beautiful Friday afternoon, sun's shining, birds are chirping, everything in the world is all sweet, isn't it Alex? Not my computer, I'm going to channel my inner Adam Curry from when the I, uh, podcast release with uh, Apple, oh, yeah. and my computer is slow as a motherfucker this morning. Yeah, yeah, we have had a couple of technical difficulties, so we're starting a little bit later than we planned. But as usual, we have a big show for you today, plenty to go through, a couple of uh, little interesting anecdotes to uh, to add to some flavour to your Monday. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about... Um, an updated position in the bureaucracy, which I think that you guys will find very interesting, which Alex doesn't know about yet either. Uh, also going to speak about a bit of an update on the Ukraine war, uh, and also uh, bring up an old clip from our show, from the Christmas episode, in which we made a wager, which may come to fruition very, very soon. The fact that you were the one that brought this up means that I'm probably losing this wager. Well, no, 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 no. It don't don't write yourself off yet because okay. the wager outlines a time frame, and uh, I I still think that the odds are heavily within your favour. So so we'll see how we go. Um, look, is, is there anything that you wanted to sort of just throw out there before we get straight stuck into it? Just a very little thing. This only just happened to me, but it goes in line with mental health. Yep. Okay. So we're in November now. I don't do the Movember thing because yep. I hate charity. Right? <laughs> I hate giving charity. But I do think it's very important to talk about things. But I just had a client that had come in to look at a car. That's one of the reasons One of the reasons I'm late. Yep. Young man, 20 years old, uh, come from Somalia, mm -hmm. and is was asking the right questions of someone who... I don't know. I guess he, he was trying... He, it started by him talking about his problems. Mm -hmm. And then me being the big brother was like, those are excuses. Yep. So I thought I took it as a coaching, like a, the, an opportunity to coach this kid. Mm -hmm. This kid talked about every excuse under the sun why he couldn't achieve his goals. Yep. Oh, I tried, but oh, it's too hard to... Yep. And... We ended up seeing for like 40 minutes, and I had to keep on calling him up every time his verbiage, the words that he used, skewed the world in a negative way. Yeah, yeah. He never even mentally gave himself the opportunity to succeed because he'd already decided on the excuse. Yeah, that's right. Right? And, and being November, being... It's a it's a time to talk about mental health and, mm -hmm. and in particular men's mental health and, and it's only because I can't really speak for the the female side I don't have as much experience being a female it is 2023 who knows what what the future brings for me <laughs> in, that, in that regard but that that is a tough one though because uh, if you don't speak about it then you're a misogynist pig because it's like you don't care about women's issues if you do speak about it and you get something slightly wrong they say how do you feel like you are qualified to speak about this because you don't know what a woman's lived experience is like women also change their mind of what's right and wrong in the same breath yeah so. and depending on how attractive you are too so, <laughs> yeah, so that's why I'm I'm saying no. I'm yeah. throwing my shake out just now. I used, I used to get away with a lot more than I get away with these days. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just thought that was an interesting anecdote. You, like, and he talked about comfortability and he wanted that get rich quick thing. Yeah. Now, I know I wanted that too. And I said, you've not looked at the biggest advantage that you have, which is you're young. You're mm -hmm. 20 years old. You've got every opportunity to make everything happen. Yep. And you've identified that you have a problem. Yep. Oh, but I just lack motivation. But that's you, dude. Yeah, like, that's, that's right. That has to just, come from you. Yeah, just fix... But everything has to come from you. Yeah. So you're here, you have a little bit of capital behind you, you've got a job, you're working. What more do you want? Yeah, you're no that's longer in Somalia. Like, that's a good start. That's a great start. Mm. So I, I said any failures that you have in life are on you. Yeah, totally. But any success that you have in life, that's on also you as well. On you. Yeah, yeah. And it's 100%. very easy. And I use the analogy of, because he's like, oh, I just don't know what I want to do. Now, you and I have a different view on this because I always knew that I wanted to get around cars. Mm -hmm. So I made my world centered around cars. Yeah. Right? 
I don't know. I can't see how someone wouldn't doesn't know what they want to do. I don't like like the question would be if I was to wake up every morning and do something for free, what would that thing be? Yeah. As soon as you answer that, then you focus your energies on how to monetize that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of kind of how I see it. And this guy kept on saying, "Hi, oh, you know, but I'm." You know, I'm lazy, and uh, I'm like, well, yeah, but that's like, just don't be lazy. Like, yeah. just work your ass off. You know, yeah. that's easy. It's easy. You, you yourself are not lazy. You have been behaving lazily for a long time, but yeah. you, yeah, yeah, you yeah. yourself as a person, don't have to be a lazy person. But you've chosen. I said the only reason why you're saying that is because it absolves you yeah. of having to make a real difference. Oh, I'm lazy. That's why I can't get shit done. Yeah. Well, how yeah. about you start getting shit done? Totally. Look, it, it's funny that you bring this up, and and. I wasn't going to talk about this, but since you brought up mental health, it's probably fairly relevant. Um, My mental health has suffered a lot over the last month. And the reason being that uh, with with the kids, uh, so during winter, the kids both got sick for long periods of time. What that means is that, number one, you're dealing with sick kids, which is not fun. Number two, it means you're not sleeping as much because they're up during the night. But number three, I have been working on building my business up, uh, my gardening business. I've picked up a lot more clients and those sorts of things. And then all of a sudden, hey, presto, the kids are sick. They can't go to kindy. And so now I'm stuck at home caring for them, which as a father, I'm more empathetic than probably what the average dad is, but I've got my limits. And there's only so long that you can be in 100% care mode to young children who, like, especially not so much Nate. Nate's old enough to understand things now, but with Jake, he's not. He's still only 19 months old. So just the simplest things of, like, when he's upset and he wants, like, a bottle of milk, for example, he's still not at the point where he understands, yeah, cool, I just have to boil the kettle first. And all you have to do is wait for the kettle to boil. He's screaming at you. He's in your face. He, right? And And... Over the last three weeks in particular, so like we had the like the winter sicknesses and then they passed for a little bit. I started building up the business. It's going really, really well. And then like two and a half weeks ago, Nate got sick and he was sick for a week. So he spent a couple of days at home with me. So I missed some work days. And then the next week, Jake got sick. So Jake's been on antibiotics for like another week. And now, as of today, Nate is sick again. So it's just this like constant cycle of, of sicknesses. And... I said to a friend of mine yesterday, I said the most frustrating thing about like having young kids, especially high, uh, high energy young boys, is that not only do they get in the way of the things that you want to do, but they actually get in the way of the things that you have to do for them as well, mm. which is mm. super frustrating. How dumb are kids, man? Totally. So dumb. Totally. They just make a difficult situation a million times worse. And it's yeah. not their fault. They just don't understand. But also, from my perspective, having to deal with that day in, day out for, we're, we're talking a month now, it's, it's drained on me. It's totally drained on me. Yeah, but Now, this is where it becomes relevant to your Somalian dude story. During that month, I was also my own worst enemy. I did dumb shit, and I made it worse. I, what did I do? So I was trapped at home, so I'm looking for dopamine sources. So I'm doom scrolling on my phone. I'm eating sugar because like I'm not drinking as much anymore because it's too hard for a start and it's bad for you. But so what, I'm, what have I substituted that with? I'm looking for sugar. So I'm eating shit foods. And I'm sure I've shared this on the pod before, but um, I've got really bad ankle degeneration because just years of playing sports and everything, a lot of the... It's basically early onset arthritis in my ankles. And being so a fat guy doesn't help. Being a, yeah, well, carrying some extra weight clearly doesn't help either. Um, but... When it comes to things like arthritis, inflammation is the absolute devil. And one of the worst things for inflammation is sugar. So not only am I, am I eating these shit foods, which is obviously not good for me at all, but it's actually making me feel terrible because my ankles are getting inflamed. Like, it's actually the point where, like, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I'm like an old man. I have to wait for my, like, blood flow to get through to unlock things before I can start walking normally again. Like, it's crazy, Right. And then you get to this point too where you're like, and any parent listening to this will understand it, where you've been dealing with this sick... So you're basically a servant to a terrorist all day and then they finally go to sleep at, say, 7 o'clock and you go, I finally get this me time. I need to have this time for me because I've, I've, not, I've been doing everything for them all day, so I need this me time. And what do you do? 
you do more of the negative shit. You doom scroll on your phone, you eat sugar, and you, you don't go to sleep, right? Well, but with, with today, for example, you wanted to do this in the morning. Yep. But I said no, because that's when I go to the gym. Cool. Yeah, because so you prioritise the, the thing that you need to do, right? Yeah. So literally... Now, I've burnt, I've, I've burnt my afternoon, my Friday afternoon. I've been, like, I've got today's booked out. Yeah. But I didn't, I made sure as to not compromise the workout that was yeah, really thing, important. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a really, really important thing. And I don't know where the inspiration came from, but like three days ago, I went, I finally went, I got to stop self-sabotaging because that's what I'm doing. Like, there are things in my life that are completely out of my control, and that's the kids and their sicknesses. That's out of my control. But the things that are in my control, I'm fucking up as well, and I need to stop self-sabotaging. So literally three days ago, I was like, okay, something has to change, and this is what it's going to be. My first change was, I said, every night, I'm going to be in bed at 8 o'clock, because I'm usually up at 5 anyway for the kids, right? So I'm going to be in bed at 8 o'clock. And then that way, if Jake wakes up once a night, twice a night, three times a night, it doesn't really matter because I get at least a decent chunk of sleep first before the inevitable wake-up happens, right? Mm -hmm. And either way, more sleep is not going to hurt me at this point in time. Yeah, absolutely. I'm also going to stop self-sabotaging myself with diet. So, again, no more processed foods. Like, I haven't kicked sugar, but I'm just having natural sugars, eating fruit, stuff like that. And so for the last three days, I've been doing this. And look, one night, I didn't get to sleep on time. I think I got to bed at 9 o'clock. But still, 9 o'clock is better than 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And I'm telling you, man, in just three days' time, I feel like a completely different person today than I felt on Monday. It is insane, the difference. And even just the, the little thing of cutting out processed carbohydrates, I don't have the ankle pain. Yeah. And I've got like... Self-sabotage, it's... That's a really good way to put it. It's yeah. when I heard this guru say, when you, the sooner you realize you're in, when your intelligence is working against you, mm-hmm. like that's the, that's when you and you can act on it. That's when you become really powerful. And when yeah. you realize that, do the things that you can do, you know, forget yeah. the external, do exactly. the things that you can do. Um, yeah, that's really important. Yeah, that's so a, that's a good lesson. Yeah, so like that's it. Take the lesson out of it. Like you said, it is Movember. A lot of it is about men's mental health. Uh, as men, we typically don't talk to people about our problems. Um, you know, it does feel a little bit awkward sharing that sort of stuff in a international platform like a podcast, but mm. it's super important. It's 2023. If we can be trannies, we can talk about the things that are affecting us. And I'm mm. telling you right now, you need to do it. But also, the number one thing is you need to take back that personal discipline. And it, it's it's not hard things, guys. It's not hard things. It's just... Identify the behaviours that you are doing which are making your life worse and change them. Don't have to completely stop them, just change them. All of us know the things that we do to self-sabotage. We all know it. It's just about about action. Just act stop doing it. Totally. Alright, enough of that. Let's move on. So can we go to the first resource? I I found this little story. This one's only going to be a quick one, but I just think that you guys, as in the listeners and Alex as well, I think you'll find this interesting. So I noticed this. So um, this was a press release from a few weeks ago, I think, but it's from the Australian Transport Safety and Investigation Bodies Financial Sustainability Review. So just to uh, do a little bit of a blurb at the top, our transport safety bodies are world-renowned and the Australian government is committed to ensuring they stay operationally fit for purpose and are sustainably funded to carry out their responsibilities. The Australian Transport Safety and Investigation Body's Financial Sustainability Review and the review will review the operations, consider potential efficiencies and options for cost recovery for the following body. So CASA, which is the Civil Aviation Safety Authority, blah, 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 blah. That stuff doesn't really matter. So in other words, in a, in a nutshell, what is this? This is a review into the financial sustainability of these government departments. What is most important for this, and what I found interesting, if you scroll down a little bit further, is who is the bureaucrat who's been selected to run it? So stop there. Who will conduct the review? Oh, my God. So, so for audio listeners, I'm going to read this because you can't see the photograph. 
The review is being undertaken by an eminent person with extensive expertise in public sector financial operations and governance appointed by the Honourable Catherine King MP, Minister for Infrastructure, Transport, Regional Development and Local Government. The reviewer will be responsible for the delivery of the final report to government by early 2024, including recommendations addressing the scope outlined above. The reviewer is being supported by a secretariat team within the Department of Infrastructure, Transport, blah, blah, blah. The reviewer's name is Professor John Skerritt. Fuck me, man. Yeah. You cannot, you cannot fail in government. Can you? you can't. You cannot fail. You literally can't. This is just blatant jobs for mates, again, as it always is. So for any of you who are unaware of who Professor John Skerritt is, John Skerritt is the former head of the TGA, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, who oversaw the approval of the COVID vaccines in Australia, who who also was the uh, who were the head of the TGA when they banned doctors from prescribing ivermectin, when they approved remdesivir, like all of the negative stuff out of COVID, which has then subsequently proven to be false, was under John Skerritt. Now, he resigned earlier this year because I think he knew the lawsuits were coming. And hey, presto, he's managed to prop up with a government-funded, cushy review gig, which is essentially going to be like a tick-and-flick exercise. And I don't know what his salary is, but it will be significant. Wow. Yeah, so... Um, now, to be fair, to be fair, if you, if you go if you go to the top there and it says the review is being undertaken by an eminent person with extensive expertise in public sector financial operations... Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I, I he's found the done same that. thing. If you go down to the little bit where it actually has him, it does say... So look next to his picture... It does say here that Professor John Skerritt is a, a respected regulatory leader with extensive experience in strategic policy, operational and financing models for regulatory systems, which you can say the number one success that he had at the TGA was getting money. Yeah. That yeah. wasn't his number one job. Well, as far as we're concerned, that shouldn't have been his number one job. But if you, you, if his job was to obtain money for that organisation, he did a cracking job with that. Failing upwards. How did you find that? That's a good get. Uh, I came across it on Twitter. I can't remember who noticed it first. But yeah, uh, someone I follow on Twitter flagged it and then I went searching and I, I found the press release. So, wow. Yeah. Fun times. Anyway... On to the next. Um, can you, speaking of uh, Professor Skerritt, can you please bring up the next resource, Alex? Okay, so if you can just um, hit the show more on this tweet. So, again, for audio listeners, there is um, there's a, a court case going on in the UK at the moment where essentially they are taking uh, Oxford AstraZeneca to court uh, over the vaccine being defective. So I'm just going to read the tweet. I, I, that article's behind a paywall, so we can't actually read it. But the, the interesting parts are in this tweet. So this is from uh, Rebecca Barnett, who uh, her handle is dystopianDU. Uh, Oxford AstraZeneca COVID jab was defective, claims landmark legal case. This case is interesting because it argues that AstraZeneca misled the public by emphasising the relative risk reduction when in fact the absolute risk reduction was much lower. In quotes, AstraZeneca issued press releases following clinical trials saying the vaccine, known as Vaxevria, uh, was between 62% and 90% effective at preventing symptomatic COVID-19 depending on dosages with an average of 70%, the legal claim states. In fact, the absolute risk reduction concerning COVID-19 prevention was only 1.2%. Also, again in quotes, in one message, Sir John Bell, Professor of Medicine at Oxford and the government's Chief Advisor on Life Sciences, told a senior health minister that AstraZeneca had become really frazzled, adding, they accept that their comms, as in communications, are a bit clunky and they misjudge some things like clinical trials data and manufacturing. Partly, oh, because, partly, partly because they've not done a vaccine before. Oh my god. So, well, to be, fair, to be fair, they still haven't done a vaccine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it says at the end, good luck to Jamie Scott. If he wins, it could pave the way for as many as 80 damages claims worth an estimated 80, billion, oh, sorry, 80 million pounds over vaccine-induced immune thrombocytopenia and thrombosis. Now, 
Okay, so what, what is really, really important about this? This is an angle that I think I've mentioned on the podcast a few times in the past, but uh, if not, I've been thinking about this for a long time. The vaccine companies all got immunity from all the governments and the jurisdictions that approved them from prosecution for any adverse events that those vaccines caused. However, I always thought it could be the case that you can sue these companies if they fraudulently obtained approval in the first place or if they also committed fraud by using misleading advertising. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what like uh, what comes of this. Uh, I wouldn't hold my breath. I have a feeling that the lawyers who submitted the documentation early days to get uh, indemnity saw that this happened and made sure that there were provisions built. Um, I mean, didn't... Didn't the person that's created this, didn't they just get a knighthood? The person... Okay. <clears throat> very, very interesting point. Did we speak about this on the podcast? Did we go no. through it? So, a Nobel Prize was just handed out to two people who were um, not the inventors of mRNA technology. Uh, we should have actually brought this story up. It's quite interesting. Um, because if you would have given it if you would have given the Nobel Prize to the person who is widely credited at creating the mRNA technology, it would have had to go to Robert Malone, who is not well-liked by the mainstream establishment. Yeah. The two people that actually received it are credited as the people who... Uh, I can't remember the exact specifics of it, but I'm pretty sure they are the people who replaced uridine with the uridine in the shots which is designed to make sure that the mRNA in it persists longer and, and, is, and is degraded far less quickly than it would normally do. Oh, so it made it worse, you mean? Exactly. So, so, so it inflamed parts of many. It, 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 100%. And, and yeah. that's, that was the, the whole crazy thing about this, is it's like... Because everything, everything around these COVID jabs has all been marketing and propaganda the entire time. So as soon as I saw that someone got a Nobel Prize because of mRNA and it wasn't Robert Malone, my first thought was, obviously, they're just trying to add scientific weight behind the mRNA jabs, right? So now, now such and such is a Nobel Prize winning exactly. scientist worked for AstraZeneca. Yeah, blah, and blah, all yeah. you hear is mRNA, Nobel Prize. Yeah. Or you'd only give that to someone because it's such an amazing thing for a scientific achievement. But yeah, they literally are just credited with with making the change to it, which meant that the mRNA didn't degrade as quickly as it normally would. So in other words, it would persist in the body for longer, it would infect more cells and cause or more autoimmune issues and adverse events. It's but, almost as if the goal that they're rewarding, because they seem to be rewarding this, is excess, uh, excess deaths. Yeah, or... The new, whole new patients. goes to... Yeah, or new patients for Big Pharma. Mm. But, the, but the reason why uh, that's not related to the current story is that AstraZeneca was not an mRNA vaccine. So, oh, so oh. remember, AstraZeneca copped the most heat early on because it actually got banned in a lot of countries fairly early on. Not as quickly in Australia as everywhere else in the world because we, we just kept stock, handing them out. We had the stock. We had to sell the stock. These things aren't going to sell themselves. Yeah. But what is interesting about this particular case is that this is all just based on those uh, cases of thrombocytopenia. Uh, so thrombosis and thrombocytopenia, which is basically thrombosis with a low platelet count, which is the thing that's unique to AstraZeneca. So if this gets up, then how many other lawsuits are you going to see along the same lines for things like myocarditis? Yeah, is there, and... is there someone in Pfizer going, oh, I'm a shoe in to get the myocarditis award? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, but look, well, I'm going to keep a really close eye on this one yeah, because this is, this is one of those really, really important landmark cases and it is the first time I've seen it challenged in court that essentially the vaccine manufacturers were at least, at the very least, were misleading the public by using the relative risk reduction as opposed to the absolute risk reduction. Um, and they've, I, I did read some other things about the case in which they were talking about things such as uh, media releases that AstraZeneca had made which were indicating that there were no side effects. Um, 
other media releases that they were making, which were again alleging that like up to ninety percent efficacy. And 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 remember the language in there because this is the thing that that everyone has selectively forgotten who mm. went and got mRNA jabbed. It the, these jabs were originally to prevent symptomatic infection of SARS-CoV-2. Mm. They were always meant and were always marketed to us as preventing symptomatic infection. But but a lot of like that's been like whitewashed out of the yeah that zeitgeist in the last that two turned years. into uh, hospitalizations and then that turned into death and now that's turned into oh yeah myocarditis yeah and now it's turned into thirty percent excess death rates around the world yeah. yeah so look stay tuned on that one we'll keep mm. a very very close eye for you um all right on to the next story please Alex the bet. Alright, do you want me to play the video? Yeah, so be, before you do, uh, again for audio listeners, um, I I saw a news story, it's in relate, relation to the Ukraine war, and I just wanted to bring up um, one of the wages that Alex and I made on the Christmas episode last year uh, was in regard to the Ukraine war. So I thought we could just play the clip, it's just a very short period, and then we could go to the news story. Yeah. So in other words, what it sounds like is... The war's going to be over very soon, one way or another. And there's two ways that this can go. The first way is Russia just goes on all-out assault and the Ukrainians are just forced to surrender. The second way is Russia has made uh, pretty clear that they are not interested at all in negotiating with Zelensky because they just see Zelensky as a Western puppet. But one of Zelensky's generals they have said that they would be willing to negotiate right. with this guy. So there is a chance that Zelensky ends up getting ousted and this general takes over, negotiates a peace settlement with Russia, which again, we said at the, right at the beginning of the conflict, the only way this thing ends is at the negotiation table. Oh, for sure. But right? it, it ain't ending for the next little while. Little while, yeah. But it might be sooner than you expect. And the Do reason you want to put why... Put on it? What's that? Do you want to put some crypto on it? Some crypto on it. Okay. Yeah. What's what? What do you think is the time frame? I think there will be no peace settlement in 2023. Ooh. I'll take that bet. Okay. And it's all 2,000 satoshis. And how much is that at the moment? Fuck all. Ah, uh, it's more now. <laughs> it's way more now. All right. So, Interesting. so that oh, was I the like bet, that. right? We we put the bet down that there would be no peace settlement before the end of 2023. So if you can bring up the next news story for me, please, Alex. Right, now this is from NBC, so left-wing news out of America. And the headline set says, The US and European officials broach topic of peace negotiations with Ukraine, sources say. Now again... Anytime you hear sources say, experts suggest, uh, it could all be bullshit. People familiar with the matter. Yeah. Um, the conversations have included very broad outlines of what Ukraine might need to give up to reach a deal with Russia. Washington, US and European officials have begun quietly talking to the Ukrainian government about what possible peace negotiations with Russia might entail to end the war, according to one current senior US official and one former senior US official familiar with the discussions. All the words that you just used. The conversations have included very broad outlines of what Ukraine might need to give up to reach a deal, the official said. Some of the talks, which officials described as delicate, took place last month during a meeting of representatives from more than 50 nations supporting Ukraine, including NATO members known as the Ukraine Defence Contact Group, the officials said. The discussions are an acknowledgement of the dynamics militarily on the ground in Ukraine and politically in the US and Europe, officials said. They began amid concerns among US and European officials that the war had reached a stalemate and about the ability to continue providing aid to Ukraine, officials said. Biden administration officials also are worried that Ukraine is running out of forces while Russia has a seemingly endless supply, officials said. Uh, just on that a note, I believe the, at least before the war, the population of Ukraine was about 37 million people. And the population of Russia is about 130 million people. Um, just but playing devil's advocate, 
Does anybody, is there any historic record that might intimate that Russia might have lots of military uh, personnel? A historical record? What, like how they won World mm. War Two? Maybe all the fucking wars, <laughs> like that's all they've got is lots of people. Like that's yeah. their whole thing. They lost millions of people in one battle during World War Two. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Ukraine is also struggling with recruiting and has recently seen public protests about some of President Volodymyr Zelensky's open-ended conscription requirements. So anyone who hasn't seen this stuff. Uh, they've literally been like kidnapping young men off the street mm. for months to, to fight and die on the front lines. Uh, and there is unease in the US government with how much less public attention the war in Ukraine has garnered since the Israel-Hamas war began nearly a month ago, the officials said. Like they're surprised, they fucking teed up both of them, if you ask me. Well, yeah, this is this is the thing. Like, essentially what it sounds like is the U the US has found a new girlfriend and Ukraine is old news. dropped like a sack of spuds. Exactly. So it says some US officials, uh, military officials have privately begun using the term stalemate to describe the current battle in Ukraine with some saying it may come down to which side can maintain a military force the longest. Probably the one with 100 million more people, I would suggest. Neither side is making large strides on the battlefield which some US officials now describe as a war of inches. Officials also have privately said Ukraine likely only has until the end of the year or shortly thereafter before more urgent discussions about peace negotiations should begin. U.S. officials have shared... You just uh, scroll past. Uh, have shared their views on such a timeline with European allies, officials say. And then they just go on, they say things around anything... Any negotiations blah, blah, are up blah, to Ukraine, blah, 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 wank, wank, wank. But at the end of the day... It's not up to Ukraine, it's up to whoever's funding Ukraine, which is the US and the European Union. At the moment, the US taxpayer is literally paying to keep everyone employed in the whole country. They're paying for the police force, for the teachers, for literally everyone who's still earning a wage in Ukraine is coming from US taxpayer dollars and military aid. So, but, but, but to be fair, the US is nowhere near their debt ceiling, right? Well, there is no ceiling, bro. Well, no, there is. It's eight days away. Oh, yeah, well, that... But there's a ceiling, but it doesn't mean... You're right, 2025 is when it's actually... Currently, it's a skylight, so we yeah, can yeah. see it, but you can go straight through That's it. That's right, that's right. But, okay, see, I was listening to a podcast, Elon Musk with Lex Friedman. Oh, yeah. Elon said in very early days, let's do a deal, mm -hmm. like a land deal, Don't give Donbass, make it independent, do the thing, write yeah. it in, that Ukraine's not going to join NATO. Let's just do that now. Yeah. Because that's where it's going to end up, but we can do it without losing all the men. That's right. And he said on his podcast, he's like, it, it, it looks like that's exactly how it's going to happen. Which is exactly what we said on our podcast too when the war kicked off. Which would have been nice like to get to the deal first instead of going to war. Yeah, except the real deal they did get to. And the real deal was the US government was able to money launder $200 billion worth of taxpayer money through a war zone in 18 months. Yeah. Do I have like, to find the, um, the clip again? Do we have to play the... Oh, the Julian Assange clip. No, we yeah. play it almost every week at the moment. But, but that's yeah. the thing. So now that the US has found a new conflict to justify pumping money into, well, you know, the, the support for the Ukraine war has been waning for a long time in the US. Uh, you can tell by just jumping on X or Twitter and see that there's far less Ukrainian flags and bios that there used to be. Mm. Okay, this... Can I... Are you done with it? Because I can segue this now to the yeah, thing sure. that I want to speak about. Oh, look, let's just wrap it up. We've got... It's now the 10th of November as we're recording this. So Alex has to drag this conflict out for another month and a half and he wins 2,000 Satoshis. So I think you, you're probably going to win, but yeah, it could be Check close. It could be 2, close. 2,000 sats is today. 2,000 sats to AUD Like is... you said, a lot of it depends on what the next funding deal is that the US Congress decides in a few days' time. And I'm sure it would be almost impossible to... Uh, convince people heading into an election year next year that the best thing for the US citizens right now is to send more money to Ukraine. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, okay. Hold on. 
2,000 sats. 2,000 sats is $1.16. Uh, that's big stakes in this economy. It is big, it is big. All right, so I want to talk about this. Kind of fits. Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw a bunch of stuff out there because I've only trialled this thought process twice so far and I haven't got it dialled in yet, but I'm just going to throw it out there. The Optus crash. Yeah. Wednesday. I had a flight to catch. I went to Sydney and I went there like a damn pilgrim. I went there. I had no technology. It felt like travelling in 1994 all over again. Nice. It was actually quite nice. It so it felt cute. safe and less stressful? Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Um, but I feel more concerned now conspiratorially, conspiratorially than I have for a long time. Okay. And I'll tell you why. When the mainstream media is saying the shit that we've been saying yep. for ages, I'm like, I'm on the wrong side. Like, something's happening. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on the wrong side, and I'm worried about it. So, for example... I want digital ID. Fuck cash. Well, no, they can't... Okay, that's an example. How can you possibly have a digital ID? So we know that they've pushed digital ID. We're anti-digital ID, right? Mm-hmm. How can you push for a digital ID when your critical infrastructure provider of 10 million customers can drop out for nine hours, rendering that facility redundant? Yeah. Okay. And, and to make matters worse, it wasn't even hacked or anything. It was just apparently a software update that went No, out. I need to say that. These guys are fucking crazy to not say that the North Koreans, the Russians, exactly. Hamas, and aliens yep. conspired to hack the system. That's what I would have said day one. Hey, yep. we've got it's a fourth dimensional inter like in, interplanetary. There's fourth dimensional intergalactic Russians that hacked have my been system. hacking our system from the future. They yep. have been hacking our system. The fact that they haven't said that is crazy. That chick, the, the CEO, I've forgotten her name, she's looked so dishevelled. Yeah. So dis- Like, she even walks like... like She's walking like a cripple. And the lines that she's been fed by her, her team are the dumbest lines yeah. ever. Like, they need... She needs to be sacked. Which makes me think that they did get hacked. And, and a lot of people's no. private data got stolen. But say it. No, Dude, because... say that. No, because then, like, how can you then keep going and pushing towards digital ID? But this, but this is worse. This is wor- because there is an argument is that you could say if we spend a hundred million dollars or two hundred million dollars on a sophisticated digital ID system, mm-hmm. we don't have to worry about hackers. They could sell that, whether it's true or not, doesn't matter. They could sell that. But if you couldn't, you can't access the fucking internet mm. to access your digital ID. It's redundant. It's so that's my concern. Yeah. The worst thing has happened. It falls in line with exactly the things that we've been talking about. And now, you know, Sunrise is talking about how, oh, we need to keep cash. Oh, we need to not have... Like, they're saying all the things that we want to say. So now I'm going, okay, what are they hiding? Did they move an alien? Were they moving aliens? So what you're saying is this. The way that they're planning on spreading the next pandemic is on paper money. It will be no, something that's on services. I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but I feel... They've got $20 bills, Australian notes, in a lab in Wuhan right now getting rubbed but up with this the This is next... a twofold issue, right? Yeah. I feel uncomfortable because this is the first time in my lifetime the majority of people listening and consuming to mainstream media, the normies, are, are outraged at the war. They actually don't want the yeah. war to happen. So the propaganda hasn't worked. Yep. People are actually asking a couple more questions and going, oh, uh, what's, is this Israel-Palestine thing? Like, how deep does that go? They're actually asking the questions. The majority of people asking the questions. No one's defending. Like, even though, yes, we are 100% in support of Israel because of governmental security pacts between US and Israel, yep. the people on the ground are like, nah, fuck that, right? The majority of the people on the ground, I would say. Mm-hmm. Now people have realized my business couldn't operate because I didn't have access to FPOS. Yep. So we need cash, even though we're talking about going cashless. I don't like that so many people are on our side. Because 
if they can't manipulate, if they can't fix that, there's some big stuff happening. Okay, so let's put our tinfoil hats on and let's analyse possible conspiratorial reasons why this might be the case. Are we in a period now where the mainstream media is actually going to report truth for a short period of time to the point where the people get lulled back to sleep again and then when the mis- and disinformation bill comes through where they're planning on censoring anyone on social media and anyone on Rumble or anything like that uh, but they won't be censoring the mainstream media it'll actually have enough support because people are like oh no look look, the media's reporting all of these facts now it's all Maybe. good Maybe. could that be part of it? Maybe um, or did they transport aliens in a primarily <laughs> Optus area? Or, like, I'm just worried that we are being played now because it's too convenient that everyone seems to be awakened at the same time over these two things. Like, why? How did they drop the ball on the Middle East? How have they not come up with a beautiful narrative of how they're going to push us into war? Well, they, they kind of, like... I don't think it's necessarily that they dropped the ball. They just used the exact same playbook they always use, but it actually didn't work this time. And as as we've discussed before, I think one of the reasons why it kind of didn't work is that at the end of the day, if you look at demographics around the world, there are far more Muslims and Arabs than there are Jews. Oh, yeah. So when the narrative came out that Israel were the good guys and Hamas and therefore... And Hamas was so evil that therefore it justifies killing Palestinian civilians. And Iranian and Syrian. Yeah, like... Just based on pure demographics, I don't think that sales pitch was ever going to work because you were not going to get the majority on board because the but majority are, are Arab Muslims. Yeah, but that's my concern. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. So why would you spin that? You've got to spin it a different way. Arrogance. It's still... To oh. me, I put this down still to arrogance. The, Maybe. This is, like you said, this is the first time in years we have seen the majority in society push back against a media narrative. It's the yeah. first time. Yep. So for years, they've just been like, here's the playbook, dole it out. Here's the playbook, dole it out. Um, they've never had to justify their ideas. All of the um, other places that people could go to discuss these things all had their backs and were censoring dissenting voices. But now you've got Twitter, especially, under Elon Musk, and you've got Rumble with these free speech places where people can go and actually actively talk about these mm. things. And like like I said, I just think they just keep following the same playbook because it's worked and it's never not worked until now. And now, okay, maybe, now maybe you're starting to see them go, shit, we are losing credibility. Let's talk about how you need cash when the telecommunications companies go down. If that is the case, this is the biggest awakening we've ever had. Yeah, so you're right. It could be a really, really bad thing, or it could be a really, really positive thing. It was funny. I was talking to her, speaking of normies, I was talking, speaking to one of my normie mates um, through the week, and we we're talking about program of money and CBDCs, and he's like, "What's a CBDC?" I'm like, "Oh, you haven't heard of this?" I'm like, no, no. And I told him, "I'm like, oh, it's programmable. It's a central bank digital currency, and they're going to be able to program it. So let's say if you wanted to curb inflation, you could put a time limit on funds, or you could devalue or revalue in real time, or you could mm-hmm. you could put certain parameters, or you could say that things certain things could be bought, so that certain things couldn't." He's like, "That can't be real." And I just sent him like. The articles, Reserve Bank of Australia, you know, like the like the yeah. real the real stuff. Like it's all there, man. It is all there. Yeah. And he's like, that's insane. And like, yeah, man. But yeah, it's happening, and that's that's why we need to keep our Instagram because mm-hmm. you know this shit. You know, I read the. I don't know if I talked about it here, but I read the proposal about um, about uh, the crypto legislation. So they've put through a proposal, and they say, hey, we want to talk to stakeholders to to get their idea on it. And it sounded really good until I read what they thought. And they're like, oh, you're just trying to turn crypto into the normal financial uh, like, like yeah. industry. You're just trying you're to roll it. it into the old system. Well, but worse so. Like they're gonna, because they're taking away the advantages and the benefits yeah. of that system and putting it back into a highly regulated. I do have a funny story. So as part of my businesses, I am dealing with lawyers from another jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. And I basically asked... Am I completely uh, like? Am I completely compliant to do the thing that I want to do? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, and you can do heaps of other stuff. Too. <laughs> and then, but then I was like, oh, you know, I was talking to people, and they're like, yeah, but are you sure? 
And then I was starting to reassess the, the way I think about it. I'm like, but they don't have those laws. Yeah. So it's like someone coming here and going, oh, do I need to pay to go to the beach? And we're like, no, nah, man. It's like, it's, that's right. That's right. Do it. Yeah. It's, a, it's a way of life for us. Yep. Well, it's a way of life for them as well. So they think that I've got two heads when I'm like, isn't there a form I need to fill out? Yeah, isn't there yeah, a, yeah. Isn't there a this that I need? Don't I need to pay much? We are completely like, overregulated in this country. It's one of the reasons why we're doing so poor economically. Oh, because regulation dude, and stifles And you everything. don't know the half of it. You start going incorporating businesses here in Australia. Yeah. It's mental, dude. The, the 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 stuff that you have to jump through and the oh and the money you have to pay just to operate. We had the conversation in the gym this morning talking about decriminalising marijuana and like oh yeah you can just tax it and rah rah and I'm like yeah but California's been the example of where they've decriminalised it and it was supposed to do this thing, but because of all the red tape that you have to go through, the price that you have to get to make it profitable is more expensive than the black market. So yeah. the black market's going to win. And he's like, oh, can't you just subsidise it? I'm like, oh, oh, then we'll subsidise wow. it. How I, can't, about, I can't believe that was a first response. Yeah, how about we just let the free market do it? How about we remove some of the fucking bullshit because the black market has operated just fine yeah. for so long. How about, how about we take some more... Uh, more tips off the absolute free market as opposed to trying to like like put these cookie cutter approaches. Yep. When I went to set up my bank account for my new company, they had these drop down things. They want to ask so many questions. It was like eighty pages of stuff that they needed mm. that didn't even fall with it. You know, they, they clicked this down arrow. Are you in farming? No. Are you in agriculture? No. And like they didn't have my thing there, and they're like, "Well, what do I do?" I'm like, "It's your fucking system, man. You tell yeah, me." I when I did finance, you had to put everyone into those boxes, and there were so many roles that just would not have a box that you could put them in. But there was a role which was blood collector. So all you vampires out there, finance is easy for y'all. They're covered. Well, to be fair, they've been here for a thousand years, so they've been able. To yeah, work. true. They they've worked yeah, the system to suit themselves. But I did think so. So. On the plus side, we're at the, we, we could be at the Great Awakening where a lot of people are like, wait a minute, all this stuff's been bullshit, yeah. we don't want war, so we're going to vote with our feet, get people out that are pro-war. I think that's the best thing that we can ask for. Yeah. Um, I think we want to bring cash back. I think people are starting to realise, oh shit. Like, the answer to this problem is not just go to Telstra. No, right? no, exactly. It's get outside the whole telecommunication system because it can't and be relied upon. when I've heard the terms said on TV by corporate media like it decentralizing i'm like oh baby yeah okay. but then i'm like is this a trap this is... <laughs> I like can, are the cameras I can in see here how your brain would go to it being a trap and look i again if there was a why consp- would i trust them if there was a conspiratorial element to it for me it's that they are trying to rebuild trust with us so that when they do try to ram the mis- and disinformation bill through enough people will go yeah but the mainstream are totally uh, truthful and look at all these examples over the last few months of just where they've be. been 100% truthful this is okay um, well, so isn't that called a truth sandwich yeah yeah uh, speaking of truth and voting with your feet and everything like that like and, and we are talking a little bit about politics too I just kind of want to talk a little bit briefly about the state of the country and the messaging that we're getting from political leaders because I don't know if many people are actually paying attention to it but I've been following, like, Jim Chalmers, our treasurer on Twitter. Uh, the wingnut. Yeah, I follow Albo. I follow Chris Bowen, the energy minister. And I just want to express the fact that... So, the criticism of Labor always, traditionally, has been that Labor spends too much. They're not good money managers. And... There's always been a retort about how much the Liberals overspend on things too, and I think that uh, JobKeeper was a really good example of a program that the Liberals put in which cost billions and billions of taxpayer dollars, and it all went to the wrong places. And so the Liberals, you know, they're not the best at it either. But literally looking at the state of the country over the last 18 months since the Labor government has taken control of it. And again, I, I will not discount for a second the debt level that they uh, inherited from COVID. Uh, that was under the, the, the federal government, the Liberal federal government. And to be fair, Gomo was under the pump. He did have like 35 briefs. That, that's right. He was very, very busy. So he couldn't yeah. have been across all of them. But yeah. <clears throat> like, I, I will not discount that for a second. But one thing that I will say uh, just on that is 
and I mentioned this on the federal election special we did before our last federal election, where I said that the main reason why I wanted to vote for the United Australia Party was because they were the only people who came into the election with an actual plan on how they were going to pay down the national debt. And what that plan was, was to reinstate an old iron ore export tax, which again would have directly affected uh, Clive Palmer, a 15% export tax, and just that money would have gone directly towards paying down the national debt. So they were the only ones that had mm. a plan. And anyway, Labor came in, they promised all these things, they said things would be easier. And what are we experiencing right now? So this week we just had our 13th rate rise during that last period. Um, we've still got inflation. I think inflation actually started going back up again. Yep. Yeah, it's up. Yep. Hence yep. why they did the rate rise. Uh like, I, I posted something up on the socials this morning, and I'm just going to bring it up. Basically, it was a graph of the... Uh, here we go. So, Australia records biggest income decline in the developed world. So, this is a, a story from the Financial Review, and it just has a graph here showing how different nations... Uh, how they fared during the, the financial year of July 2022 to June 2023. Mm-hmm. And so it's based on real household gross disposable income per capita. Australia is at minus 5.1%. So, like, and, and some of the other countries that are as bad as us, like, are ones that you probably wouldn't, you'd be a bit surprised. Norway, Sweden, uh, Ireland, I'm not surprised about. Austria, I'm not that surprised about. Um the actual best performing countries when it comes to gross disposable income per capita, the top one is actually Spain. That increased by 6%. Chile increased by 5.6%. And the United States increased by 3.5%. So I I think if you ask, well, I mean, I can ask all of you guys, all the listeners, have you felt that drop in your gross disposable income over the last 12 months? I think everybody has. And I think that it's been... It's been so interesting for me to watch our governments dance around the fact that we are in a... That is that means per capita recession, right? Two, two consecutive months of negative growth is technically is a recession. And when it comes to per capita spending or per, per capita uh, disposable income, we are minus 5.1% over a full 12-month period. So that, that means we're in a per capita recession. Nah, it's skewed. That number's skewed. I'll tell you why I don't like it. Okay. Because we're coming off a hyperinflated free money market cycle. Yeah. So that figure could also be the fact that last year we had too much disposable income, which in my experience was the case. Mm-hmm. So it, it's because it, it it's not a fair and true indication of the real strength or weakness of households. Mm-hmm. Because what I would argue is that we had too much last year and less this year. I I think it is a very sad state of affairs in a rich Western nation where we're sitting here and discussing if we had too much disposable income. No, but I I said it the whole time. The last three years I've been saying that you're spending like crazy. Like it, it was as it, it was in my sphere all the time. The the the, yep. the, the luxury that was spent yep. was unsustainable totally so so you, you are bringing me to my next point which is the fact that so based on the numbers that i've seen it appears we are in a per capita recession so the reason why the i don't who who's the who actually declares whether or not we're in a recession in australia i know it's the fed in america the media yeah i guess it'd be the reserve bank i, I would assume i guess so so obviously no one's really talking about recession in australia at the moment and the reason is because we've had mass immigration over the same period of time, which masks the recession effects. Well, there's another thing, but yeah, keep going. Here, I'll try and find So it. I don't know if you guys are aware, but in the last 12 months, we have had 500,000 immigrants move to the country. 500,000 people is 2% of Australia's population. So in a time when uh, you know we are in a massive inflationary spike, 
where we, are, where we have the RBA increasing interest rates with the whole and sole purpose of removing disposable incomes from the, prof, the, from the pockets of mortgage holders to slow down spending in the economy to cool off inflation, we are also bringing in an extra 2% into our population, which requires housing, which requires food, which requires transportation, which are therefore driving further spending into the economy. Mm-hmm. So I put a post up during the week about so our, our government, and this is what's been really interesting about what like Jim Chalmers has been saying. So Labor keeps talking about their 10-point plan to tackle cost-of-living pressures. At no point in their 10-point plan do they say uh, cut back on immigration. At not one no. point. No. Do you know what all their points are? Subsidies. Yeah. Inflationary subsidies. All of their points are... Oh, we are giving energy relief to 5 million households. And what is energy relief? Energy relief is the taxpayer is getting taxpayer money given to them to help pay their overinflated energy costs. That's inflationary because that removes any market pressure from an energy provider to have to lower their prices so they're affordable. Well, okay, let me give you this. So this is a, a United States thing, yep. but I'm sure it's happening here too, and I think it falls into what, what you just said. Mm-hmm. So they're talking about jobs, right? Yeah. And the every the hat, the hook that everyone's playing their hat on is that unemployment is low, and how strength, strong is our economy? Yeah. More than a third of October jobs, this is in the states, fifty-one thousand, was government, which, as everyone knows, are not real jobs. They don't create anything uh, anything of value for society. Yeah. Now, I can tell you that I heard I had a conversation this week with someone that works for Queensland Health that they are on a hiring blitz for bullshit jobs. Wow. Okay. So that is confirmed. Everyone got stepped up. Yeah. People with no qualifications in business fields, yep. you know, they come out of medical fields, are signing off 200 million business contracts, million dollar business contracts they've never done before. Yeah. And they're bringing a whole new bunch of people through and there is a mad dash to fill seats for unnecessary reasons. Yeah. Right? The now, only reason is so that they can claim that they're strong jobs figures. Yeah. Another thing. So, uh, Bidenomics. We're all ragging on Bidenomics, right? The rate of people in America who's working two or three more jobs just hit the highest level in US history. Yeah. Uh, the number is uh, 800, oh, I think that's 8,542,000 people are working three jobs. Unbelievable. I was listening right. to um, PBD podcast during the week and they were, Tom was running through some numbers from the States and they were talking about uh, the fact that so uh, their interest rates have gone up faster than ours have. I think they're an extra percentage point higher than what ours have gone up. Oh no, they're way higher. They're I, way I, higher. No, I think okay. Mortgage rates at eight. If you go get a mortgage now, yeah, so you're they're in the about, eight. so they're about a percentage point higher than what we are because I think most people, if you go and get a mortgage now, are about sevens. Yeah, okay. that's where it's at. Okay. So anyway, yeah. um. So the, the stats were the average mortgage payment in the United States in the last 12 months has increased by 92%. So that's almost doubled in 12 months. Uh, the, I can't remember who it was. Whoever did the review was saying that to bring housing affordability back into line, there were, there were like four different things that, that could potentially do it. The first was to reduce interest rates by 4%. Yeah. which is obviously not going to happen. The second thing was that every household had to increase their household income by 62%. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what the other two were. But like, that... Uh, how, are we, how are we in this position? Well, I, but I, this, is, this is why I'm, it's so clear to me, and this is what did my whole frustration this whole time. Mm-hmm. I remember 08, it was the same. Yeah. When you're going to auctions and people with cash offers are spending double what the reserve price were, mm-hmm. you are in a bubble. Yeah. Now, what happens is the bubble bursts. When the bubble bursts, the, the interest rates, the cost of lending goes up exponentially. Yeah. And that's what takes all the heat out of the market. We're in that now, but it, we're not there. Like, we're, we're, we're nowhere near Yeah, yet. except the rates have gone up, but unlike... 
the GFC, it hasn't taken the heat out of the market. Well, there's someone I have to give credit to, which I'm hopefully meeting next week. Yep. He said to me last year that the government will not have the balls to do what it takes to fix this problem and therefore we'll all just pay for it for a prolonged period of time. Yeah. He is bang on. Yeah, agree. Bang on. Yep. Because think about it, we're at four months minimum just to get to what the US is and the US will be more advanced in their interest rates by then too. Yeah, and like I think you said months ago that uh, that the Reserve Bank not increasing interest rates fast enough meant that we were just going to be in this negative price, like inflation yep. rate spiral pressure. Yep. And it's exactly what we're seeing. Like, No one stops spending. No one stops spending. Yeah, but, but even that though, I don't think is really a fair thing to say. Because the issue is that the um, the items that you can spend on that they put into the calculations have all inflated. So when you inflate the price of all those items, and then everyone has to go and buy the same items as last week from the grocery store, for example... I'm not talking about staples. I'm not talking about staples. I'm talking about leisure. Leisure is hotter than ever. It's starting to simmer right now. But dude, the prices of Rolex only just started going down now. Rolexes have been almost like, like if you got on the list for a new Rolex, so new Rolex, call it ten to 14,000 bucks mm-hmm. for the, the, the stuff that's pretty available, yeah. you could go and turn around and get 20 grand for it the very next day. Right? What, what is the percentage of the population that owns a Rolex? No, no, but I'm using this as an example. I know, cars, but I don't, I don't think no, it's no, an wait, accurate example. Wait, it, but but the, your household shop, who gives a shit? I'm talking about like really expensive stuff that is equivalent to yeah. six months of your shop that people were still buying. I know. But, but every but new car is... in every showroom was sold. Mm-hmm. Every hot car is sold out for the next two years still. House prices are still going up. Auction clearance rates are really high. So the big shit, the luxury shit, is yeah. still overinflated. So the wealthy people are driving the inflation? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. It's because there's so that's why I ask you that... what, what percentage of people own a Rolex. So, so this, this is the issue I have, right? As a, as a mortgage holder who is bearing the brunt of the only fiscal policy which is being used to try to curb inflation at the moment, the issue that I have is I'm, I'm, I'm on board. I want to curb inflation and I totally understand that interest rates are too low for too long and we need to pay more to, to be able to curb inflation. I'm totally on board with that. What I'm not on board with is the fact that our government's policies are all inflationary. Yeah, so, so I'm not, I'm not okay with paying extra on my mortgage. And meanwhile, our government comes out and goes, hey, we're going to further inflate prices of shit because we're just going to subsidize it, meaning yeah. there is no free market pressure to have to decrease yep. those costs. So, yeah, I agree with that. So that's the problem that I have. So I guess when I started this conversation about the economy and politics and, like you said, voting with your feet... You need to understand the Labor government is they've done what they what every time they get handed the reins and they they promise they're not going to do this. But every time they get handed the reins, they do the exact same thing. They spend, 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 spend. And I'm not as critical of Labor government because I think if the Libs are in, they'll do the same thing, if not worse. Yeah, I I disagree. Uh, They've been throwing money like it's like it's candy prior as well. Yeah. Prior, I, I get that, but again... And then put it, put yourself in the situation that, that they're in now. There's no way a government's going to come out and go and say, okay, we're going to raise taxes, we're going to jack rates... Yeah, to because the, that would be the right thing to do, but it costs votes. And that's yeah. the problem. It is all politics at the end of the day. And for we sure. are all paying the price for the politics game. And until we as a country mature and realise that just getting given everything we want is not the right thing for us long term... That won't change. But that was, I mean, that that was my experience last Saturday night. I went out for dinner yeah. because it was Tasha's birthday, right? And Paddington at six o'clock at night had not one available seat in restaurants. Yeah, okay. on Saturday night, I'm like, this is luxury. That's luxury stuff. Yeah, right. Mm. And and th- that's where now you're staying at home. You don't see the stuff. But I'm dealing with cars. Now, I will say this. I have been offered more prestige cars now, so the big end of town, mm. than I've ever been offered in my life. Interesting. So the big end of town knows that the shift is coming, and yeah. they know first they're smarter. So they're cutting their losses now. Mm. So the change is coming. But but the, 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 middle, the middle class, 
they will not realise this until it's too late. They'll be six months behind the eight ball. I still think that we are getting, we will, we will reach at least in the nines, maybe a 10% mortgage rate in Australia. Yeah. yeah I because think I, right. I pulled those stats up here before. Yep, we pulled the we've data never had more inflation in history. And we've done it twice before. Yep. Why wouldn't we do it again? Yeah, that's right. And as you've shown before, every single time we've had uh, amplified inflation, you've had to bring the interest rates up to match the inflation rate before the inflation goes back down again. Yeah. Yeah, look, like I said on those posts on socials during the week, uh, because our government is run by children who all they care about is them getting re-elected, strap yourself in, guys, because this ain't yeah. getting better anytime soon. The only yep. way this gets better is when the government stops spending in line with what the RBA is trying to do. Because yep. like, you, like you said, so the biggest driver of those jobs figures is bullshit jobs in government yep. who are going to be handing out decent salaried contracts to people who can then go and spend that in the economy. Yep, like, supercharging it. Yeah, so the 30% of people in the, in the country who are mortgage holders, them paying an extra 0.25% ain't going to... to stop the inflation it's mm -hmm. just not and i'd also argue this too the immigrants that are coming to this country are going to get the jobs yeah. because aussies are fucking lazy that's right they'll they'll they just want to work for anything and they're getting paid two three four times what they would have yep. been paid in the yep. native country and i'm only saying that because i've tried to employ very lucrative roles been laughed at meanwhile offshored it mm. got better service yeah interesting half the price yeah Actually, this just just before we go, the, another perfect example of government wasting money. Um, I, I may butcher this because I only briefly saw it, but uh, in Victoria, the uh, one, one of their massive infrastructure projects, the most expensive one, the um, it's not the East West Link. It's anyway, what, one of the projects. I'll, I'll remember it after after this is over. I'm sure, but the first stage of it has been built and. It's already blown out well over well over budget. I think the first yeah. stage cost like fourteen point five billion dollars. They're now saying that the the next stage might cost like thirty six billion dollars or something, which was not budgeted <laughs> nice. for. But the new premier announced that they have found a they're they're not going to finance it through public finance or a oh, public yeah. private partnership. They're doing it through an alliance model which essentially is just going to be in partnership with business in which that, in which the um, the loans itself just gets paid off in large chunks here and there. The whole point of which is to keep the total cost of the project off the books of the government. And also backstop the finance too. So, so that the, the government will back the finance for the... Like, you'll be able to secure it against the government. Therefore, you can get unlimited amounts of money borrow to get this job done yeah but because it's in an alliance with business it means yeah. the interest rates are actually confidence. higher than yeah. what the government can borrow at with yeah. public finance which in other words means the victorian taxpayer will be paying far more than they need to purely so the government can lie to you about how much the total cost of the project is but i realize the system sucks hashtag democracy <laughs> and on that note guys thank you very much for joining us and we will see you next week